second episode of Owner to Owner with Joe Carfagno. And with me today, I have Noah Puzi. Noah has a business that is very, uh, I would say, on the forefront of, I think, technology and on the forefront of a better uh, HR department for better reviews. And um, one thing I'll say about it is, first, he's a recovering lawyer. Noah is the co-founder and CEO of Ripple Analytics, a startup that is redefining the way organizations access and develop their talent. Ripple replaces the annual review with a tech-driven solution that drives self-awareness and strengthens organizational cultures. And uh, said a better way is that you can review constantly your employees so they're not surprised. On so I will let um, we'll start from here. So Noah, welcome to the second forecast uh, for owner owner. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate you being on. And I know we uh, we tried to have this a few times and we kept getting sidelined. So we're finally <laughs> arrived. So. So tell me, Very good. Little, tell me a little bit about you. Take me back to, I guess, where you're from, how you grew up. Um, yeah. I know listeners always want to hear about the backstory between the owner, and that's kind of interesting to me as well. So t- take me there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm one of seven kids. I grew up on a 90-acre uh, farm in Halifax, Vermont, which is southern Vermont. Grew up skiing with my brothers and sisters. Uh, eventually went, went away to college. Uh, moved to New York City. I went to Boston College undergrad and then moved to New York City and attended Brooklyn Law School um, and worked at some of the bigger firms in New York City until about 2015 when we co-founded Ripple Analytics. Uh, As you alluded to, uh, I'm a recovering attorney, meaning once you're an attorney, you're always an attorney, but you don't necessarily practice. Um, And I used, I used a lot of my experience in the law with helping to guide uh, Ripple's platform in that, you know, you want real information, objective information to make decisions. And that's, and that's what we do. We collect data through short surveys and we give it, we give that data, we call it and put it in a dashboard and we allow the owners and managers of organizations to use that data in analyzing and developing their employees. Um, you know, in, in, in short form version, we're replacing that antiquated process called the annual review with something that's dynamic and useful. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not rooted in something that uh, was started back in the forties. It's, it's using technology and, and allowing um, those, those company owners to make better decisions along the way. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So tell me to take your one of seven. Yeah. Five Where are you in the, in this, in this chart? I am the third boy. So I've got my, my oldest brother, Bill, and then Sean is right above me, and then me, and then my brother Damien, my sister Bonnie, my brother Kiernan, and my sister Brittany. Wow. So Brittany's the baby. Oh, yeah. Wow. So my folks, my folks moved to Vermont in 1970. Um, my dad's originally from uh, Manhasset, uh, Long Island, and my mom was from Great Neck. And they moved up. Uh, they bought a, uh, a, a farm, and, uh, and they, in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, we grew 
and raised 80% of what we consumed. So we wow. had cows, chickens, pigs. Yeah, we grew corn, pumpkins, squash, potatoes, you name it, we grew it. Um, and so, yeah, we, we just kind of, we all worked together. Um, and, you know, we, we, our weekends were consumed by working on the farm and you know, we had strong work ethic from my parents. And um, yeah, we all, we all kind of left the farm and went to school in various uh, locations, but um, we were just home for my dad's birthday and we, we try to get home as much as possible. Obviously that's not uh, all that easy with the uh, COVID restrictions, but we do our best to, uh, to go see them when we can. They, they still live in the house that I grew up in. So it's kind of cool. That is cool. So, t- so that's so funny that you ate, ate 80% of what you consumed nowadays. Everybody <laughs> wants to have a farm and they're trying to get plant life, um, yeah. you know, plant-based foods and, what do you think of all that? Would you ever go back to doing that? Do you like it? What was the downside? Was it a lot of work? I can imagine. It's it a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of work. I think I think there's a lot of technology now that allows, you know, to save a lot of the work that, that we did back in the 70s and early 80s. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would probably I would probably sign up for a hybrid of how I grew up. Um, you know, I think I think when you. Uh, have the space you know my parents have 90 acres of land so you can rotate uh, fields in terms of where you grow certain crops this year you shouldn't you shouldn't grow the same crops in the same field year after year you should mix it up because different um, vegetables take different things from the uh, the nutrients in the soil so it's Mm. kind of it's kind of cool you learn that stuff and you never I mean I haven't talked about that in probably 20 years but it's just kind of ingrained in uh in your head, you know? And so, yeah, I, I think a hybrid, I, I think the days of raising cattle and slaughtering cattle on farm for personal consumption is probably um, not very uh, likely to return, but you know, if, you, if you're gonna do that, I think it's more expensive to actually do it right in terms of the grain you feed your cows and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, there, there, there's certainly, uh, over the last 11 months, anyway, I've heard many people say they'd say they were mm-hmm. jealous of how I grew up. But, you know, on the, fl- the flip side is you have to drive 40 minutes to get a slice of pizza. Yeah. So, you know, um, there's good. There's good yeah, I'm, I'm not jealous of how you grew up because I know it's probably a ton of work. <laughs> um, but I bet you, yeah. you it taught you not only the work ethic, but it taught you just what you said. Like, I thought, so for grapes, you know, if you look at the vineyards in California, in Europe, they use the same mm-hmm. soil, so I guess grapes don't take the same. I don't. I don't know why that doesn't apply. You know, like who knows, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, we never grew grapes, so you're you're completely right, and and it, it is entirely possible that the grapes don't, um, or maybe they replenish whatever they. But take. I would never I think that. Oh, you you know you grew beets over here, so you can't grow beets there next year. I would never think that's amazing, and yeah, and that's... and ninety acres. Yep. That's pretty. That's that's a sizable farm. Yeah. And so, so when, um, so when we all moved out, went to college, got married and all, all that kind of stuff, um, my folks, uh, converted the farmhouse into oh, wow. another breakfast. And so they have seven, yeah, they have seven rooms now. And, you know, with COVID, obviously, again, not to beat up the yeah. current situation, but, you know, business has been off, but yeah, they're, they're about 15, 20 minutes from Mount Snow and they're about two hours from Boston, four oh, hours awesome. from New York city. So they're, they're pretty close to some pretty, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, would, areas, so. I, I think I told you I went to Killington yeah. over the, the Christmas break and, and my wife and I are talking yeah. about going back up in March one more time in, in Vermont or upstate New York to do some skiing. 
Yeah, another yeah. skiing great right now. They've got they've yeah. a ton of snow. Um, yeah, we're we're about an hour and a half um, south okay. of Killington. So, so then so, growing up yeah. on the farm and and learning about the soil, you talked about slaughtering, right? You had your own cattle. I think <laughs> I do believe there's going to mm-hmm. be some people that are going to get back, like purists, that want to get back to. I'm going to butcher my own food, and I'm going to you know restaurants that might do it, or they might use a local farm to do it whole farm to table all that stuff but what was that like well so it's interesting i think you're right in that people will buy into that kind of situation because we my, my parents have actually been approached um by some people about raising a pig and mm. raising a, a cow and then you know basically, basically these three couples want to buy in a third a third a third for a cow and then they asked my my parents to kind of price it out like how much would it be and didn't have this you know organically fed and raised um cattle so you know they're they're there are people out there, and certainly in the last eleven months has highlighted that. Um, one, I mean, when you say yeah. what was it like when you work when you work as hard as we worked to raise um, the animals, we um, we would then butcher and eat, and to you know to grow the vegetables and and, and food on the table. And it's amazing how no one ever had to say finish your beets or finish your potatoes or finish your steak or finish your um, pork chop because you were yeah. so hard, you, you would eat it. Yeah. You know, it was like, there was never, yeah. never leftover. So, and, uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. And you know what, it's, I don't ever remember being and to this day, I don't really get sick. So I, you know, you always wonder mm. if, if some of the, the steroids and, and the things that the additives and preservatives to some of the food we all, uh, a lot of people consume as kids and teenagers, whether that maybe isn't so great for you health wise. Um, but you know, knock on wood, I'll get it <laughs> tomorrow. Probably. Yeah. God forbid. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's just, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, you know, that like, did you feel any remorse or guilt with the cows and the pigs and, chickens i would be so attached to them don't get me wrong i love my meat but i would be so attached to them i feel bad yeah not the chickens but there was i had a calf and uh luckily as a five-year-old you don't realize that the calf you had in the spring is then the bull that you slaughter you know a couple of years later but uh yeah that was the only that was the only um animal i became attached to we also had rabbits we had pigs we had horses so you know i think i think with all it, it's not the situation where we raised one chicken and you know yeah butchered it you know we had yeah. dozens of chickens and we had our eggs from the chickens and, and they were seen i think primarily as a food source not as yeah, sure. dogs and cats growing up so <laughs> so no did I you keep a lot of cats on the on the farm to kind of clear out the mice and stuff no we only oh, wow. had one um and you know we, we always have we only had one at any given time uh and we had two dogs growing up, a big oh, Newfoundland. That's um, a big dog. Pyrenees Bray, uh, mix, and then a black, wow. a black lab. Yeah. So, um, and that, and that, those were definitely utilitarian in that, um, you know, coyotes and whatnot would come out in the evenings and the mornings, and, and the dogs would bark them mm. away. Uh, so you have to keep fo- foxes away from the sure the, the sure the hen house. Um, so yeah, um, but yeah, so, so it was it was really you know. I've had a very unique uh, childhood and upbringing. Uh, my folks yeah. were originally from Long Island, so you know all my cousin, all my cousins were on Long Island. So I used to go to Mets games with my cousins, and would come down and go to Jones Beach and you know the North Shore of Long Island. And then likewise, they would come yeah. up and go skiing during the winter and yeah. come see us. So I had the benefits of of civilization, but really grew up in a very extremely um, rural wow. environment. Were you, when you 
I mean, we, I had, I, I had 500 people in the town wow. I grew up in Halifax when, when we went to school, K through eight was in one building, just Jeez. a three room schoolhouse. And there were 50 kids K through eight. So if you factor in the fact that we had seven, we had over 10% <laughs> the population, of, yeah. of the school population was my, yeah. was my family. How many teachers? That was pretty crazy. One teacher for K through two, one key teacher for three grades, three through five, and then one teacher for wow. six, seven, eight grade. And you would literally, you'd go from history to math, uh, to science. And then, you know, the next day you might study something differently, but yeah, it was pretty, it's pretty, um, wow. Pretty that's unique. amazing. And I mean, growing up in a small town, I mean, holy cow. I mean, I grew up in, in the city in Philadelphia, you know, in Northeast <laughs> Philadelphia, in the suburbs of the yep. city, but it was still like dense row homes. And I, I always like, you know, you always romanticize about what it would be like growing up in a small town and everyone knows each other. What was that like? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, what's interesting is we had the same romantic thoughts of growing up in suburbia and, you know, having the city mm. 25 minutes away. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, it kept you honest. I mean, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't mm. get away with much. You, you kind of, as a community, everyone kind of chipped in and, um, you know, we had potlucks, we had the Grange Hall would throw, um, dinners for hunters to, to raise money. And, you know, if someone, if a family suffered a tragedy, everyone came together and made meals for them. I, I think, I think the same general stuff that happens in suburban America, it's, it's clusters. Just, it's more, yeah. um, yeah, exactly. So you might have a neighborhood, you know, three, yeah. four or five blocks, of, of suburbia that kind of bond together when something bad happens. Whereas you have the whole town, you know, somebody, you know, wants to raise money. We all found, you know, bind together and, and you even had a multiple towns. So you'd have, you know, where we uh, were near Jacksonville and Whitingham and Wilmington and Dover. And so you'd have these kind of these, in, um, these regional um, fundraisers or, you know, um, uh, benefit uh, type events. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, and, and you know what, to this day, I have friends who are still in, in town, um, and friends that are now, you know, running businesses in town and, you know, it's, it's good. We get, we get home quite a bit. I mean, before COVID, we, I probably went home five, six, maybe even sometimes seven weekends. You take your so boys there? Uh, a winter. Yeah. So I've got, I've got, um, my son's a snowboarder. Okay, that's right. You have one of these. Uh, but yeah. And have, when it. you take them to the small town, yeah, what do they, they think they, of that? I think they, I mean, I think they kind of like it for, you know, the two, three, four days we're there. I, I think they like the the convenience of living in, like, you know, we live in Huntington, which has, you know, 40,000 people. So the convenience of knowing that it's not just go, going to get pizza, you have five, six different pizza yeah. that you can choose from, you know. So I can, I, can, I can sell them on it for three, maybe four days. But, you know, we went up there for a week a few years ago, and I think it was, uh, they were getting a little, you know, cabin feverish. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, Southern Vermont is very much becoming a kind of a three-season uh, destination. You know, I mean, the the spring is still not very attractive yeah. because of the mud and, and black flies. But but summer's huge up there. Obviously, foliage is big, and then winters, as long as Mother Nature cooperates, can be can be great. And as uh, you you had some good yeah, skiing, it was, right? you Christmas. know what we went. I think we went to Christmas Eve. We skied. It was fine. Christmas Day, it got really warm, and it, everything <laughs> iced up. Yeah, they lost it. That's right. That's right. So then they and they have they've had high storms since. So currently I the know. skiing's great. Yeah. So yeah, no, we definitely want to get up there. We've been skiing. We went to um, Scranton. We skied at Monta Montag Montage, and then we uh -huh. went, last night we went to uh -huh. Blue Mountain. 
And what, what's the elevation at, the, at, at uh, in Scranton? The elevation for um, – that's funny you asked that because I was looking at it last night. The elevation for Blue Mountains, like 1,400, and um, the elevation for right. uh, Montage is uh, 1,100, 1,150. Are they chairless or are they just like – No, they're chairless. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, it's obviously not – what's Killington, like 3,000? Yeah, I think more. I think Killington. Yeah, like so I mean, I mean, and Killington has different levels. You go up one, then you can go up another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah different mountains. And um, yeah, and we just had that was was fun. And it's and fun. you know we were so we skied. Blue Mountain has the longest trails in Pennsylvania, and they have one of the trails is like mm-hmm. two miles. And we skied. I think it was like two miles, wow. and that was really long. And, and uh, but the greens in on Killington are just much better. It's it's got it's it's pretty cool how they have the right. turns and stuff. I mean, the whole family was saying, you know, we, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's convenient to drive an hour and a half to go skiing, but there's nothing like you know Vermont. I mean, yeah, amazing. Yeah, and experience. the kids enjoyed it. So, yep. so we're really, um, you know, we, we're really trying to get out this season for skiing because of the weather. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. Yep. And and are your kids? Uh, one is doing hybrid and one is remote. How about yourself? Yeah, they're they're full. They're I mean, well, one's in college. My daughter's in uh, St. Andrews oh. in Scotland, and she's full time. She they're they're remote for the bigger classes, and then they use the uh, the lecture okay. halls for the smaller classes. So she has like 20, 25 kids. They'll go into this, you know, this this uh, room that'll hold one hundred and fifty, and they'll just you know sit one in each row, and um, and then the bigger classes she she does remotely, and then and then Jackson is a junior. At Coltsville Harbor High School, and, and he is fully oh, wow. uh, back. So they were in hybrid in the in the fall, but then starting in the new year, they have, have you have you been pretty so, much unscathed I, by COVID? The family, um, from a from a health perspective, from a from a physical health perspective, yes. Um, I know a few people in my in my circle of of friends and network, but um, but from a psychological perspective, I worry about the kids in terms of you know socialization, and that's why I was really happy when they yeah. decided to go back um, because they track the rates, and the rates really aren't any higher in schools when you're when you're um, you know in terms of the populace, uh, whether they're back or whether they're hybrid. So it's nice that they can see their friends, and even if interacting isn't what it used to be, they can actually see you know their buddies after school and you know, try to minimize contact, but, you know, see people as opposed to just online constantly. So, um, what about you? you, you your family pretty, safe. pretty we, safe. We, you know, we, we took it real serious early on as a company. We took it real serious. Yep. And then my, um, my youngest got it. Uh, we don't know where she got it. She's very active with, um, a sport. She does, um, cheer on a, on like a, a showcase level, not uh-huh. on like a cheer for the, high school team type thing and and then she was going to the gym like five six days a week and she got it and had minor symptoms you know she had um real good headache she had a stuffed up nose she said she started to lose taste and smell and i said you know go try lemon and she and she tasted she's like i still taste the sourness so i thought she didn't have it and her and i got (laughs) tested at the same time because I felt run down and, you know, I had, a, I had like, just like my ears were burning. It was a really weird feeling and I would wake up in the middle of the night with sweats. So <laughs> I got tested. We both got tested at the same time. I had symptoms. She had symptoms. They called her on Sunday. We tested on Friday. They called her on Sunday and said, you're positive. 
And I'm thinking, all right, they're going to be calling me any minute. I was laid up in bed and I didn't tell her yet because I didn't want her to worry, you know. So she was at her mother's and um, I, got, I called them and I said, can you check me? And she said, yes, yeah. you're negative. I said, really? I said, I have symptoms. She goes, no, you're negative. And I said, I, I can't believe it. And she said, you might have an upper, upper respiratory infection. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. But I just kind of took the Dayquil and all that stuff. And, and by the time two weeks had passed, I was fine. But I don't know if I had it or not. And I, and I, it was the swab, like the one where they go all the way in the back. Yeah, it was the hardcore thing. one, not the not the quick yeah. one that could give you a, a false positive. Um, this one was like hardcore. So do you think maybe it was a false negative? They were confident that I didn't have it, and I I, I believe them. I just think it looked it looked and acted like it, but it wasn't. Who knows? So we went. We all went away on February break last year. When we came back, we all like like my girlfriend, her two kids, and, and Jackson and I. We we all felt mm. really bad. And so I, I'm in the back of my mind, I think that we probably had, I, I don't, as I said earlier, um, I never get sick. So, I mean, that was the first time I had like the flu or cold or whatever it was mm. in maybe six, seven years. So um, it could be just coincidence, but, you know, we all felt bad. We all, you know, we, we traveled through the Mexican, uh, Mexico City Airport, International Airport. And, you know, at the time we were looking, we we're like, look at all these people. There's you know, tens of thousands Crazy. of people walking around. And yet, you know, in retrospect, it's like, well, you know, no one was yeah. wearing masks. And yeah. It's kind of like, hmm, that would have been a, a, and we were on, you know, connecting flights. We got on three different flights for that, for the, for the travel yeah. involved. And yeah. We stayed at a hotel. That's so, a you know, it's just like, everyone was starting yeah. to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Everyone was starting to talk about it, but it wasn't, you know, none of the, none of the mandatory restrictions were in place. So we'll see. But, but uh, I, I actually had my blood tested. Uh, a few weeks ago, and I was neg- I was uh, I mm. not had the antibodies. So, but but now I'm I'm hearing that you can actually lose the antibodies. Even Supposedly, them, right? So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I, I just can't. How are you feeling about the vaccine? Mm. I, I mean, I think from a uh, planning perspective, you know, all of these different governors. We're talking about when the vaccine, when we get the vaccine, we're going to implement this, this, and, the, and, and yet they, they've failed colossally. I'm not they sure did. about you guys they did here. in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it just, they, they just dropped the ball. I mean, Cuomo, for all of his talk about, you know, we need the I vaccine know. to be able to do this. I know. We got the vaccine. You can't, I know. You can't implement it. So it's, I think, I think leadership on a lot of levels has 100%. failed in this whole thing. And, and it's, and it's disappointing as a, as a person. But uh, as a business owner, in particular, a small business owner, you know, the, the, what is it, the, the expedience that Cuomo, you know, made decisions based on closing down, you know, a lot of businesses, non-essential businesses, you know, non-essential for, you know, for everyone except the people that own the businesses, because (laughs) I think the owners would, would definitely describe their businesses as essential. And I think, I think a lot of the leaders got you know, rightfully so, a lot of slack at the beginning because no one could plan for it. But, you know, we're coming up on a year and it seems like it's still the same shotgun approach to trying to resolve these issues. And, you know, no one, I, 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 I'm concerned that there hasn't been more legislative activity in terms of, you know, having hearings and debating, you know, what's the right way to go about restaurants opening. And, you know, give me some data that supports 25% is better right. than 35%. 
because even though that that ten percent change, if restaurants can fill an extra table make a difference. per sitting, down. that can be the difference. 100%. Yeah, it can make a difference. And then, and if you look at thirty five percent, look at forty percent. What's the difference? And I think these the arbitrariness of um, some of these regulations is just you know you can you can you can be together with ten people. Yeah, I don't get, with 11, that stuff. Doesn't make sense know, to sh- me. Sure, you know. It just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, but you also understand that everything you do has implications on everybody. You do it too, and and I think sometimes our government officials don't realize that. And when when you have a governor of any state saying that everyone has to be patient, but he or she is still drawing their salary, and they don't have to worry about being open to get paid. That's uh, yep. it's, 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 it's it sounds like hypocrisy. Um, yes, it's like hypocrisy. Reality. Yes. Well, what you're going to find, though, in the next few years is the lack of tax revenue generated. You know, you're going to have to find that money somewhere. And I I think you're going to see a lot of states. And and this isn't to get political. I think it's just it's economical more than anything else. But I think you're going to see the legalization of marijuana. Gambling. See um, lighter lighter restrictions on gambling. Exactly. non-native american yep. gambling to be more embraced and not and not because of anything other than yeah they need the money tax revenue which is i know which is sad because there's a lot of studies that show that you know gambling and, and uh uh opening casinos in certain areas can can, can mm-hmm. lead to depression you know not just economic depression but just you know overall you know places just I, not, you know um, it's you know, being, I'm a, they being, could open a casino next to my house. I'm impervious to that because growing up, know, so my I. father <laughs> would go to the casino and the racetrack once a week. And yeah, and I would go oh, with really? him because he, you know, I was 15. I had my learner's permit. He said, Hey, you want to drive my car? You know, brand new caddy. I'm like, Yeah. So I would drive from, yeah, I would drive from Philadelphia to Atlantic City on the hot, you know. And he loved it. I mean, that was his thing. I could take it or leave it. And I'm more than often, I leave it. I have no interest. You know, I used to go to the racetrack yep. with him. I'd watch the guys go through the trash cans to find their bets, their tickets to see if they won. Yep. Like, no yep. interest at all. Um, yep. So I think if they want to open a casino rather than tax me or tax us, you know, I should say, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I feel bad for yep. the people that are under yep. that vice, but go ahead. Yeah, and, and it's actually funny. I, uh, I'm the same way in terms of I have no uh, no interest in gambling, uh, and, but it's, I think it's more because when we were growing up, you know, you work hard for your money, and I think yeah. you appreciate it a little bit more. And, and so, you know, I mean, I went to Vegas. A buddy of mine was getting married, so we did his bachelor party out there. And I had never been to Vegas. I was, I think, mm. 46 at the time. And, uh, and that was my first trip to Vegas because, as, as I just said, I'm just not, you know, doesn't, yeah. doesn't really interest me. I went with a few hundred bucks, went with a few hundred bucks and lost it eventually. But, you know, you lose a few hundred bucks. It's not that big of a deal. But to your point, you know, you see these people and there are plenty of them out there that are just, just I know. sad. So they're, they're looking, they're looking to yeah. place that next bet to they're make ch- it all back and. There's a reason those big casinos are in business. A hundred percent. They pay out. And all the old <laughs> adages, you know, you start chasing your money and, you know, all this stuff and people think they have a system and, you know, it's, it's, the, yep. it's, I mean, that's just a, that's a vice. And I knew many gamblers that were addicts, you know, that were hardcore. They would steal from their mother, their father. And uh, when you talk to them, uh, it's like talking to their, their double. It's not them. 
and they they would apologize. You know, they'd say, "I'm sorry if I stole this or I did that," and I'd say, "It's not you though. It's whoever I'm dealing with. It, it's you're the nice person. It's the other person that I don't like, and that person doesn't have regard for anything or anybody." And 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 that's the dangerous part. You know, that's the dangerous part. So then it, that does unity if you think about it. You know, on a grand scheme of things. Well, yeah, because the dad or the mom is, is using half yep. her, his or her paycheck to, to gamble. And then, you know, the food, you know, yep. isn't there on the table yep. for the kids and, or they're not yep. around to help with homework or whatever the case may be. But yeah, that's, that's the sad, that's the, that's the story they don't tell you when you're talking about legalizing. But it's so, it's so funny you said that because I really do believe that's what they're going to do. They're going to raise funds that way. And yeah. as far as, as far as the vaccination, yep. so this was interesting. So. I'm in favor of myself personally of getting it. Um, I, I get the flu shot. Like I'm a firm believer in all that stuff for as far as the flu shot vaccine. I'm, I want to get it. So I reached out to, they were having it locally. Obviously I'm too young. I don't, I don't meet any of the requirements. Uh, they are vaccinating people that are obese and they are vaccinating people that are smokers. First with the elderly, <laughs> which is crazy, but, yep. but you know, yeah, um, I, mean, I bet you, you know, behind the scenes, I bet you the big tobacco companies are saying, hey, we got to keep those people alive. They want to die on us. We're going to lose revenue. Yeah. Or, or, well, I mean, worse yet for them, the, the big tobacco would be, you know, anyone that smoked for more than 10 years, if they get COVID, they're, you know, the, the death rate is five times the rate of, of yeah. non-smokers you know i mean that's i don't know that that's the, yeah. the actual number but i mean if, if, if that got out then, then yeah. again the tobacco the last thing they need with the vape industry and the the pr nightmare after the the litigation is another I know. black eye but um it, it it amazes me that um that, that that's the case that if you're obese or you're a smoker that you get bumped you're with the elderly you're with the 64 and over so yeah. i an underlying health condition so i called our local place where the, the hospital that's local to us and i said hey look um hey if anybody doesn't want it you know if joe smith doesn't want it i'll take his dose and she's like we're not there yet we, we don't have that kind of system in place i said well i said can you right. put me on the waiting list she goes i'd love to but we're not there yet either like they're so like, they're, and the sad part is, did you hear about all the vac? Now I don't know if this is true, but I, I I thought I read this in New York. They had all these vaccinations that they took out of the freezer, and no one came up, so they had to toss them. Yeah, because you need to have them. You know, it has to be used within four yeah. hours of being removed from the. Yeah, and down and down in Florida, they were walking around a group. They they rolled out the vaccines in Florida. And they were trying to get the elderly vaccinated, right? And they said, um, they were starting to walk up to shoppers. You could have been in that supermarket and they would have came up to you and said, do you want a vaccine sh- a shot? Because they didn't have anybody else that came in. Well, and then, and then th- that's the first shot. First shot. That the, the John's, yeah, the yep. first shot. Yeah. Yep. And, then, and they're not sure if you do the first shot and their second shot isn't available within that, whatever it is, three yeah. week period whether the first shot will will be um, effective if you don't have that second shot within whatever yeah. the days are. You know, if, let's say it's 25 days. If you go on the 38th day following the first shot, they don't know that it's going to be effective. So, you know, people, you know, if you walk up to someone at a mall and say, well, get your first shot, hopefully that person knows that, you know, he or she has to get a second shot or else the first shot is largely ineffective. Will you but, get it? Well, I don't know. So I'm, I am the opposite of you. I do not get mm. the flu shot. 
I, I, I've never gotten the flu shot. I had it, I had it once in 1994 and, uh, I was sick for two weeks. Oh, wow. So, you know, and, and, and I hardly ever get sick, as I mentioned a couple of times previously, but, and so, you know, I mean, if I was prone, if I had, you know, if I had some preexisting condition, then maybe, but right now, you know, I think, I think I might wait for round two when things are a little bit more, you know, science-based from a, um, you know, like just, just the issue I just raised, you know, the first shot, the second shot, like, is it, is it, if I don't know that I'm getting my second shot because I don't know if it's available, should I really get my first shot? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and you know, you, you read, you can, you can find support for either argument, but you know, the, the general, the typical process for vaccination perfection has not been followed, um, with this. It doesn't seem, um, so you typically might take two, three, four years, and to have something that they're saying is effective within nine months. I'm not saying that, that that's a misrepresentation. It just it causes me to pause a little bit and make sure that, you know, everything is, is what it should be. Um, but I'm also not, I'm not a, I'm not a vehement anti-vaccination person. Um, I understand the, the benefits of it. I just, I'm not sure if I'm going to be comfortable mm. doing it. And that's based on, it's just based on, you know, the flu shot and, and just the, the, I'd have to read up a little bit more in terms of the clinicals and, you know, the, the, um, I was listening to somebody on the radio on NPR last week and they're saying for a vaccination, even if you're like 50 or 60% effective, it's much better than the alternative. Cause I think Johnson and Johnson's in like the 70% effective range. Um, so they were comparing it to the 92% or 94% effectiveness of the other vaccinations. And, and you know, they're saying 72% is still great. You know? I know. So we'll see. I, and I think I think for pre-existing conditions in the elderly, it's different than someone who's healthy and, you know, like myself, 49. I know you're no longer 49. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think there are arguments for, for getting it and, and not getting it. Um, and, and right now I don't have to worry about it because I'm not on uh, any no, list. No, yet, you're not. Uh, to be I know. <laughs> so I, I was reading something that said... Uh, Young kids aren't going to be getting it until 2022. Mm-hmm. So, it's, like I said, my daughter had it, but she was fine. It was like a bump to her. You know, she was still, yeah. you know, she, and thank God she was um, already virtual for school. So, she didn't right. endanger anyone else. They quarantined her off at her mom's house. All of us got tested. Then, then they said, you know, the health organization for our county that we live in turned around and said, hey, you should quarantine too. We all quarantined for 14 days came out of quarantine, you know, and I still worked. Well, I mean, what's crazy is, you know, with know. virtual <laughs> being able to virtually work, I was still working. So it was, it was, it was like no hiccup. It's, it's just wild. It really is like, you know, every day is like rinse, repeat, but you really can get a lot more done doing it this way. Well, I mean, listen, remote work is, is here I to stay. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be at the rates, but I think we've talked about this. There's no, as soon as you could confirm productivity, well, I mean, arguably, I would have said if productivity was down by 10%, you could justify it. But it's actually showing that productivity is higher with remote um, work. So, and, and it's easy to, to know why, you know, I don't go in the city anymore. I used to go in the city five, six, seven times uh, a month. So right there is three hours round trip. So I'm saving myself 20 plus hours just by avoiding those seven trips in, into the city. 
and those 20 plus hours are being put back into what what my yep. business is so 100 percent clearly productivity has not been affected and you know you, you you have to adjust and pivot a little bit but you know i think for most businesses the necessity of pivoting it was probably a good thing because it made them think on their feet and and you know implement um solutions that they thought would work and if they didn't work to not waste time you know using them for three or four months to change mm-hmm. so you know and and you know the 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 future of of the satellite office here is is, yeah. is here yeah i mean and you know i i just think of like when zoom in march and early april everyone was complaining about you know calls falling off and just the way that whole process is perfect has been perfected over the last several months and you know um microsoft getting into it with the uh with their teams application and you know i use i use google Meet Me all too. the time um so you know it's 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 here yeah. the future is here it's not and 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 the, and the concern of all the the old uh, owners of companies who said, you know, if you let 30 year olds work from home, they're going to watch TV and, and, you know, eat Doritos all day. I think those concerns have been largely dispelled. Um, and, and for, for, for good. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think technology, I think technology has played a, a key role in the ability to do that. You know, everyone with their smartphones and their laptops, you know, being able to be mobile has been a reality for years. But I think, you know, the older generation that owns a lot of organizations, they 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 still didn't embrace technology. They used it. It was a necessary evil, but I think now they they've embraced it more. Well it's funny, I have my accountant, he's you know, he's up there in age, but but he's been my accountant for fifteen years. And when I first started my yep. first company, I remember him saying to me, he said you know, you're going to let the employees work from home. Do they really get work done? Because I would try and do that. Like at least two days a week, I was following what the big companies would do. And I heard they were doing it. And I'm thinking, well, you're going to have to compete for this talent. And, and yep. you're a small business. You can, obviously you can't pay what the big boys are paying and you can't give them the benefits what the big boys are doing. So you got to try and compete on some other levels. So I started to do that work from home at least two days a week. And he would say, oh, I don't know how you do it, blah, blah, blah. So during the pandemic, he got he had to shut his office down twice because of COVID because it went through the office twice where someone got it. They yep. had to close it down. They had to wait. And then his own staff saying, come on, like, it's, you know, you got to let them work from home. And he has a hard time with it because of that generation. You know, he, he doesn't yeah. doesn't yep. feel like they're productive. And I have a mix of employees. I have employees that are in their mid 60s. I have employees that are in their early 20s right out of college. And it's funny because I have some that like it. You'd be surprised. I had, so, listen, I, all of them pretty much like the fact that they're able to work from home. I had some 30 year olds that didn't like it. And it was, I couldn't believe it. Like how old fashioned, you know, that you don't want to work from home. And some of them had little kids at home. And obviously when they stopped the, you know, the schools, now you got to sit there and try and babysit your kid and do your work. That's where you're unproductive. That's really, I I mean, I can't even imagine. That's got to be next to impossible to do that. Could you imagine if our kids, I don't know about you, but I have 50, 50 custody. And if I, my kids were little, this would be hard. And this would be no joke. This would be no joke hard. Like, thank God they're in high school. Right. Yeah, our kids are self-sufficient. Yeah. So yeah, I know like the, the three, four, five-year-old kids would be they'd be very difficult. Um, I did I did read an article that in the city, a lot of the Gen Zers and, and younger millennials had um, had requested to come back to the office 
And the, the reason is simple. You know, a lot of these kids, you know, they'll get a two or three bedroom apartment and they'll share with their two or three friends and the bandwidth, you know, the Wi-Fi just didn't support, you know, four computers and, ah. and uh, iPhones being on all the time. Yeah. And, and just the space, you know, you know, there's only so many people you can put around the kitchen table. Uh, and I don't know if you ever lived in the city. I did. You know, it's small. <laughs> a three bedroom apartment is probably a one bedroom apartment in Minneapolis that they split into oh three bedrooms God. because they can get you know, $5,000. Yeah. So they, they want to go back. Um, and yeah, it's funny. I, I like you with your clients and more with my prospects, you know, you talk to them about how things are going and, and almost universally they say, yeah, productivity is fine. We're more concerned about the, the culture of interacting, you know, I mean, the whole, the whole human right, component right, the to working in an office. Yeah. yeah. So you have 18, 19, 20 employees and, you know, it's good to talk about what, what's going on in your personal life, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day lunchtime you know, how are things good even just sports yeah. you know talking about your, your kids sporting events or the Mets or the the Phillies or whoever and, and just having that kind of connectivity because you know we're not robots and we don't just you know punch the clock at nine and, and punch out right. at five and don't interact right. um so that that is one of the one of the components that I think is going to be interesting over the coming months and years to just you know there'll be studies done I'm sure but um, it'll be very interesting to see how companies pivot to have that kind of soft spot where, yeah, you can remote, remote uh, work, kind of like your model, you know, take two or three days a week. But we really, we also want you guys to interact on a human level. And so, you know, maybe not the mandatory. I always, I always marveled at the, the happy hours at, at six o'clock on Thursdays. It's like, you know what? I mean, if I want to go out with somebody from the office, you know, in terms of go get a drink, I'll go get a drink. But the mandatory nature of any kind of social function, because my, when I was um, right out of law school, I worked for a big firm out of Chicago. And then I took a job um, managing a, a small real estate boutique law firm. And the, and the guy that ran that firm uh, who hired me to help him manage uh, the guy that firmly believed in the, you should be happy you have a job philosophy and didn't care if you were you know, comfortable, didn't care about what, what benefits he could give you to, to make your life easier. And, you know, he, he is the perfect example of a company that, that did not survive when, when something happened. And, you know, he, his, he's now a solo practitioner, I think. Um, but he had 70 people working for him at mm. one point. And, and his whole, you know, he, he did not, you had to be there at nine and you had to be there until six. And, you know, you, if you left early on a Friday before a long weekend, you heard about it for, for weeks instead of just, you know what, I'm going to work. I got my, I got my Blackberry at the time, I guess. Um, and I'm going to do some work over the weekend anyway. So why can't I, you know, avoid some traffic going out to the Hamptons or whatever. Right. And there was just no appreciation for that kind of um, adjustment. And I think, I think you're going to see companies make, you know, for your, your comment about competing with the big boys, you have to be able to do something that if you can't, if you can't pay top dollar for this, you, you got to make the experience better. And, and I think that's, you know, largely what a lot of these companies have done over the last 11 months. But really if, if they, it, I mean, no one saw this writing on the wall, but the the concept of working remotely, you know, just from a just from an overhead perspective, you know, I mean, if you can have ten thousand square feet of office space versus twenty thousand square feet of office space, you know, I mean, your rent is going to be less, your your um, utility bills will be less, 
and you know especially in midtown manhattan you're going to see a lot of uh landlords feel a lot of hurt in the coming years because not and not just for defaulting uh tenants but you know tenants that you thought oh yeah they'll re-up after their five-year lease is over because they're building a business here well they're going to know that they don't need that space that they can actually get by with a lot fewer square feet and you know then then that's that's just how it works and that's the cycle of of any business well, you know, it's funny because uh, right before the pandemic, I was being approached by my current landlord to ask if they wanted they wanted my space. And yeah, and I and I probably have about two years left now. So mm-hmm. so at first I'm like, I don't know what's what's it worth? Because, you know, we had a, a decent size office, but we were la- allowing people to work from home before the pandemic. So. Right. So when the pandemic hit. I said to the staff, I'm like, look, I said, let's all go. You know, we went, we went work from home right before everybody else did like a week before. And I'll tell you why, because we, I was watching what the big companies were doing and, mm-hmm. and I had some vendors that were at the big company and they already moved to it. And I'm like, Ugh, they moved to it already, man. This isn't good. And, and I remember my executive team saying, don't you think you're kind of jumping the gun here? I'm like, nah, I think we should do it. And I remember reading to my team saying there's 23 cases in New Jersey. There's t- 10 cases in Pennsylvania right now, you know, and it, I mean, from then to now, everybody, you know, thanked me for doing it. But at the same time, I, you know, obviously their their safety was really important because that guy that is more worried about the bottom line than his own people. That's crazy. And, and I never got that. Got people first, yep. people first. 100%. And, yep. and uh, so I, I made sure we went to work from home and our IT company said, you know, thank, it's good that you guys were already working from home because we didn't skip a beat. I mean, the team's been great. Right. Now, flip side of that is I, I do think we, you know, what I've been doing some stuff, I've been having one-on-one lunches with them. I've obviously have, I have, you know, enough employees where I can do this. Um, I do one-on-one quarterly lunches with them face-to-face for a half an hour to see how things are going. And then every week on a particular day at a set time, we have a 10-minute company meeting. We're all there, and it's all on Zoom. And now, listen, a lot of people don't like you to see their faces on Zoom. So I allow Mm -hmm. them to not be viewed with a video camera for three times. And the fourth one, the last one for every month, we all have to turn on our cameras. So that, Love yeah, it. so we can see each other. And I, you know, I go over, you know, what's going on with COVID. I, I, you know, I give them updates. What, what states, the states that we're in, is it up, down vaccinations? What's going on there? And, um, and then I just go through different stuff and I have a set agenda and it's always kind of the same topics that I cover, but it's a good touch point for all of us to get together and hear each other's voices. And then the executives have their own daily meetings with their teams. They break off that mm-hmm. they have. So my my company's done really well, and it's not me. I think it's my staff. They did just an absolutely great job. I can't be more proud of them working through this. And when now the interesting part is when we do get past this, and I said to them, look, when everybody's vaccinated, not meaning my employees, but when, when you know, the vaccinations are out there and the walls are kind of up and that herd immunity starts to happen, I said, we'll go back to something, but it won't be what it was. And right. and we'll do some type of hybrid. And I want to make it fun. Like if I'm saving all this money for the office, I want to put it back into a fun yeah. office. Yes. I want them to I, I want it. them to feel like, you know, oh man, we got an espresso maker in the office. Like, you know, I want them to feel like there's some cool things that they can come into the office and, and make the job a little more fun. Because 
you know, it's it's kind of like you're saving money, so don't put it all in your pocket. Why don't we put it back into the business? And that and how you put it back into the business, in my opinion, is if you have happy employees. If they're happy, they treat your clients really well. If they're not happy, they're going to be like, add the heck with it. Yep. Yeah, totally. Because at the end of the day, you're a PEO, but you're also a customer service help yep. because you have clients and you have customers. Yep. So if you don't have and who and who handles those, um, you know, issues with your customers, my your people. people. And if your people are if your people are happy and they're genuinely, you know, proud of the company they work for, that's going to be reflected in their interaction yeah. with their with your clients. Yeah, I agree. And that means long, longer retention of those clients, easier uh, sign up of new clients. And, you know, I mean, culture. Culture is not beanbag chairs or ping pong tables in the in the break room. Culture is how much how much do the owners of a company appreciate the people that work for them, and do they show it? And you can talk about it all day long, but if you don't show it, then it, you know the, the words words are cheap, right? Talk is cheap, and your people, the revolving door at some of these organizations, and people they just can't retain good employees. They have to start looking within. And they have to start, you know, addressing those issues yeah. because if you don't, and if you don't make um, your business a place where people want to work, you're not going to keep those people. Yeah, because they're going to want to work somewhere, especially the Gen Z and the the millennial generations. I mean, they just they, you know, back to what we're doing at Ripple. You know, they don't they don't want feedback. They need it. They've been raised on it. You know, I mean, you know, the concept of doing something and working at a company and then in sometime in December having an annual review discussion about the prior 12 months is just ridiculous. I mean, don't tell a 34 year old that they did something wrong in March. Don't tell them that in December. They'll be like, well, what, what, why didn't you tell me in March or April so I could fix it so I could do something. I about am. It? Yeah. I am. Or at the very least, tell you in March or April why I did that and why you think it's a mistake, but why I think it was a beneficial move. Let me explain it then, not, you know, 10 months later when it's completely out of context. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I applaud you guys for, for seeing the importance of, of culture and seeing the importance of, of sharing the savings. And, and, I think, and I think you're going to see that a lot. I think you're going to see with the confirmation of productivity from work from home that you're going to see the owners appreciate it. They want ways of showing their their employees um, their most important assets, the, their employees that 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 appreciation is not just you know talked about; it's real and and can be seen in you know anywhere from uh, extra time off to you know we we as an organization we saved 100 grand last year. We have 20 employees, so we're going to give each one of them a, a check for 1,500 bucks. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it's it it really. Because everyone, everyone, everyone knows that this is happening, and everyone knows that certain companies are saving money, and so you know, share share the share the savings a little bit. You know, again, like what you said, you don't have to put it all back, but certainly sharing um, with with your uh, employees would be a, be a very easy way of showing them the appreciation that you have. Yeah, and you know, to to your point, you made you know you made a couple points there, but one of the things. I think it's important for any owner is to do a, do a survey, a blind survey with your team and mm -hmm. see how they feel about working from home, see how they feel about the vaccination, see how they feel about, you know, when to come back to work and what the company should do. You'll be surprised by their answers. And, and that's what you kind of start to go off of and make better decisions because you're in the know. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, gathering data that supports your decisions is huge. And if the data doesn't support your decisions, still huge. then maybe you should, well, yeah, maybe you should be making different decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? it, it'll I mean, tell you. It's, it's one thing, 
you want to implement solutions, right? But if you if you get data that confirms that your your attempt at resolving an issue did not work, then don't keep doing it. Change, pivot. Know. You know, that's that that's that story you gave about the guy with the seventy employees who's down now down to just himself. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. One one hundred percent. I mean, it's it's and it, and it happens every day. I was ne- and, I was never a clock watcher with my employees. I, I always felt like. Yeah. You know, you get in, you get in, you do your job, you know, and if, it, if your job takes you six hours or seven hours or nine hours or 10, just all I'm asking you to do is get yep. done. Well, and also, I mean, just technology today is so much better than it was 20 years ago. Oh, and, could you imagine you know, if we had this pandemic 20 years ago? No. We'd be in <laughs> nope. trouble. And I think what you what you see is the ability to not just, you know, exist, but to actually succeed in during a pandemic. And that's, and that really kind of validates whatever your business model is, you know, I mean, if you can, if you can continue to successfully uh, navigate a pandemic with your people, with your clients, then I think everything's gravy after that. I know, right? What do you think about, um, you know, going back to Ripple for a second, I want, you, you brought up an interesting point. I had a client that they were having some issues with an employee. And one of the things they said was, Hey, Joe, we just gave this person a five, a one, you know, in November and they're not themselves anymore. And the client was not wrong. They really weren't themselves anymore, but they didn't have the means to keep giving that person the feedback to keep it real time. That's, that's a good fit for ripple. Like that's where I see it making sense. You know, of course, the yeah, board. You, I mean, the, so the the issues with the employee that just either personally just doesn't want to work there anymore or professionally can't do the work that is expected, um, you know, to let somebody go or to make a change on employment, uh, on employment status is, tr- is as tricky today as it's ever been. Um, you know, you have just the, the, the protected classes aside, just from a getting people involved in, um, in how the, those changes are made, you know, managers basing changes on objective information versus gut reactions. And, you know, in, in the heightened sense of any kind of termination, that person talks to a lawyer, a employment lawyer, and they say, yeah, no, that doesn't sound right. You know, you were a five in November and they let you go in early February. That doesn't sound right. Meanwhile, if you could have collected three months worth of data that shows, yes, yeah, she or he is off. And we talk to them and they, and they refuse to change and they refuse to, you know, get some consulting help or development help. And, and so you had to let them go. That being able to tell a lawyer, yeah, no, we actually have the objective data. Here it is. That is huge. Um, and unfortunately, if you only do it once a year, you have to wait until next November to see what he or she is going to score at and then make a decision. And that can be, that's a long time for a small business. You know, if you have 15, 20 employees to have one of your employees not operating at an optimal level is, is a big deal because it puts more stress and strain on the other employees that are working alongside that person. What do you think about, what do you think about, do you think it ever could be over overutilized the um the scoring all the time data collecting yeah yeah so so there's a there's a concept called survey fatigue so if you if you push if you if you ask too many questions too often um the participants they they sign off they you know they just blindly give everyone threes one to five scale they'll give everyone threes because they just don't want to do it anymore 
Um, and that's the trick, right? I mean, there's some companies that use Ripple on a quarterly basis after using it initially on a monthly basis. Um, some companies start out using it on a weekly basis because they want to gather the data uh, that supports you know, the, them being able to make better decisions. Um, but the frequency is, is really an organizational issue and you, and we can tweak it. Obviously we can send them out every day. We can send them out every year. I mean, at the very least, what I tell the people or companies that use the annual review and they love the annual review is, well, at least use technology to gather the data electronically. I mean, you're, you're, you're filling out, you know, Google sheets or Excel spreadsheets and you're not really using the information year to year. You're, you know, you're reviewing Joe for 2020 and not looking at 2019, 2018, 2017. I mean, you know, as long as you've been an employee of a company, you should be able to compare and contrast the data from prior years and get really a, a semblance of, of a, a sense of what you are and how key a person you are within that organization. Um, and that's and that's why, you know, we're big fans of feedback, but it has to be controlled. It has to be, you know, it has to be so that participation levels are optimal. And, you know, if you have 100 people using Ripple and only 20 people complete the surveys, your organization is not benefiting from that exercise. Mm. We, we, we really push for between 70 and 80 percent participate. I mean, obviously, we want 100 percent, um, but, you know, 70, 80 percent really gathers enough data to make better decisions. And that's, you know, you boil it all down. Data drives almost everything we do. We, you know, as owners of companies, data should drive everything you do. And if you, I mean, getting back to the whole concept of productivity, right? If the data suggests that you're 2% more productive working from home, then use that data to make decisions. Yeah. Don't just say, oh, huh. isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> it's not interesting, it's, it's fact. So if you can see that you're more productive working from home or that you know, your average person is more productive in the office, then bring the people back to the yeah. office. Um, you know, I mean, and, and, but this was on data, not, well, you know, one time 20 years ago, we had to close, you know, after 9-11, we closed for a week and everyone seemed to survive it. Well, that's not the same as a pandemic that's now 11 months, yeah. you know, running, yeah. you know, and just because you survived for a week after 9-11 doesn't mean that that process yeah. would have succeeded on, for 11 months. Right. And, you know, so you're, you're basing it on history, but that's, they're completely different events. So, you know, I mean, data-driven decisions is how everyone should really operate. And we provide that on, on, on the uh, assessment and development level. Well, you know, you know, it's funny, a couple of things you made me think of. The, um, the other thing that you, you do with your software is gives feedback to the owners or to the, to the managers. Yeah. And that is a bottoms-up approach because how many people are afraid to give feedback to their boss. I mean, everybody is, you know, unless you're me, you're crazy. Um, yep. But, you know, I loved getting feedback and I loved giving feedback because you really can't defend feedback, but not everybody's like that. And we did a feedback training no. at our company and nobody's really using it because just, it's a hard tool. It's a hard tool to learn and master and be comfortable with. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it, it, it's definitely, but talk about the that. concept yeah, so the concept of feedback um, in and of itself is is engagement driven, right? So engagement, if you're engaged, then you're generally more productive because you want to be where you are and doing what you're doing. So by giving and getting feedback, you can further the goal of being engaged. The problem we run into on, on a regular basis is there's a lot of disengagement in American and international companies. 
I mean, you, 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 you know, Gallup came out with a poll a couple of years ago where it said, you know, either actively disengaged or casually disengaged employees make up 60 somewhat percent of the workforce. So management has to come in with a feedback tool and say, you know, we want to drive engagement and yet you have 60, call it 60%. I think it's light, light, but I think it's more, but, but whatever, 60% who are disengaged, who aren't going to get feedback. Those people have to be identified and convinced that, you know, active disengagement or casual disengagement is not something that that organization allows. And those are the people that typically you don't lose. You lose the actively engaged people that see that 60% of people aren't engaged and that kind of conduct is, is, is allowed at, or at the organization. So the engaged person says, well, I'm going to go work for XYZ Corp because ABC Inc. is full of a bunch of disengaged people and I have to work harder to get anything done. And so what we preach is the, the ROI of Ripple can often be tied to retention. You want to retain people, but you also want to retain the right people. You want to retain the positive influences in your office. You want to retain the hardworking, work ethic driven, uh, engaged employees. And we can help you identify those people. And it's just a simple, not even looking at the data, but looking at the participation levels. You know, saying, going into a company, I've got, a, I've got an initial data call tomorrow with a, with a new client. And it's the first thing off the bat I talk about is participation levels, because I don't care what the solution is. It could be the greatest thing. And I hate the expression, but the greatest thing since sliced bread. But if no one's eating the bread, I don't care. You know, it, it doesn't matter. So, you know, Ripple could help you solve all sorts of issues. But if your employees aren't logging in and completing surveys, then you're not accomplishing anything. And that's more a testament to the employees who, you know, at some of these organizations, they have major culture problems. And I don't even have to talk to one person to find out. You're like, if you if you tell people, if you have a, if you have 50 people, this true story, 48 actually, 48 people at this one payroll processing company, and you tell them to do something. As an employer, you say, listen, we're using Ripple. It's going to drive engagement. You're going to be happier. You're going to want to, you know, work harder for your coworkers and work together. All that kind of great stuff, right? So once a month, Noah's going to push out these surveys to you. And all we ask, there are five question surveys. All we ask is that you complete the surveys. So a month goes in and the owner calls me up and says, well, when, when can we discuss the data? So that the, in this particular uh, exercise, I said, well, we can talk about the data, but there's not a lot to talk about. And he was like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you had 18% participation level. And if you only have 18% participating, then you don't have a lot of data. And more importantly, you're allowing employees that you've asked you know it's not you know demanding but you're saying basically this tool is going to help us please log in complete the surveys so you have you have 20 percent of your staff that says okay my boss told me to do something i'm going to do it versus 80 percent that said eh, i'm not i didn't get around to it sorry tough tough one maybe maybe next month i'll get around to it that is a problem because it speaks volumes to the culture of that organization you want to be able to tell your employees listen this is all good for everybody please use it and you get 80% participation because you're always going to have the slackers, but you want, you know, high levels of participation because guess what? I don't care what it is. My boss, who I like, who I respect, asked me to do it. So I'm going to do it. And I think he or she has my best interests in mind. And I think he or she wants to address a problem. So this is a potential solution. So I'm going to do it versus this company, the, the company I'm telling the story about that had 82% not participating basically. Yeah. Okay. You told me to do something. I'm not going to do it. Well, would you allow that if you said, okay, you have to go on site for a client and give them training on sexual harassment. 
right? And you got to be there at two o'clock next Tuesday. Well, eighty percent of the people you ask to go on site next Tuesday at two o'clock to do sexual harassment training, if eighty-two percent of your employees said, eh, and they didn't show up, would you allow that? No way. Yeah. No way. No way. So, you know, we, we preach engagement, but we also preach that they have to know, the employee, your employees have to know that you're providing this platform as a solution to make your company stronger, to make it more productive, to make it more self-aware, to grow the strength of the culture. And you know, that's what we're doing. One, one organization at a time. Um, the global thought is by building that engagement, everything else sets into place you know you you increase productivity you increase retention you increase better reviews on glassdoor you increase you know more enthusiastic descriptions on linkedin of their of your professional profile all that kind of stuff it all forms. yeah i agree because, i agree because i think that everyone should have a voice um they may not have always the choice but they do have a voice within the company you know <laughs> Like yeah, that. but you know, it's tr- uh, you know, I got that from when I was going to therapy with my ex about our kids. You know, kids have a voice, not a choice. But and it's the same with employees. I think they have a voice, but sometimes they don't always have the choice. This this helps them steer things in a better direction. And you know, I think, man, there's a great management tool out there, um, and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna try and do it this year. It's it's brutal. It's brutally honest. Uh, you probably heard of it. It's just, it's real simple. It, and it's exactly what you say it is. It's, it's start, stop, and continue. And you, you do, and you do that with your team. I'm going to do it with my employees for their managers. And then I'm going to have their managers do it with me. So, geez, it's going to be a bloodbath. But, you know, you got to hear the uncomfortable things. Like, I'm going to hear things about me that are going to say, you start doing this, stop doing that, and continue to do that. And it's not all going to be roses, you know? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, another story. Um, I'm, I'm from a long line of storytellers. My both parents love uh, awesome. I, I love listening to stories. Um, I, I, I grew up yeah, with storytellers. So, so when you when you just said what you said, right? You know, you, you, it might not be easy to listen to, but you got to know it's out there. The worst thing you can do as a manager, and I experienced this firsthand when I started managing teams of lawyers in New York City, is find out that one of your aces, right? One of your great assets, one of the like, nice nice person, hard worker, clients like them, comes to you and gives you the letter yeah. and says, my two, two yep. week notice. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't handle Larry. He's loud. He smokes. He smells. I can't handle being around Susan. She's on the phone all day with her boyfriend. And, and you look at them and you're like, okay, we can change that. No, it's too late. It's too late. I can't, I can't do it anymore. And you lose that person. You want to lose the 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 other two, the people that are toxic influence. You don't want to lose her. And this, this and this young this young associate was like, I'm just overwhelmed with the, the constant noise and chatter. And so instead of telling me, you know, nine months earlier when it started to become an issue, and I could be like, hey guys, what, what, what's going on here? You, you you get back to work. Don't, you're not supposed to be on the phone. If you got to take a personal call, go in the conference room. You know, let me manage that situation yeah. instead. You get the two you get the two week notice. And there's nothing you can do. I mean, good employees that quit, I've found you can only negotiate. You know, rarely is it that you can negotiate with a good employee that's already made up. A hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, you, you can always negotiate with a mediocre yeah. employee. Well, how much are they giving you? Well, they're giving me 2500 bucks more a year. Really? You're leaving for 2500 yep. bucks? I mean, you know, we'll give you the 2500 bucks. Okay, then I'll stay. That person is constantly looking for a new job because you're saving him or her short term. 
but long term, they're going to find some other job that's going to pay them five grand, and you can't keep matching. But the 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 young associate, female associate that I was talking about, she was great. She's a rock star, and she gave two weeks notice. Oh. She said, you know, it's too much. And once you lose them, you're, they're gone. They 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 went to the other side, and they saw that they can get better um, environmental control. You know, their 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 own office. You know, we had we had open offices, Joe. So I could have put her in her own office if she told me that there was an issue. This issue was happening. Mm. But once she once she gets that two weeks, it's done. And I, I would see her every now and then in court, and you know we'd share stories. And she was, she was a very successful attorney. Just you know, she once she snapped, and once she said, made her mind up more. That was it. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, exactly. Made her mind up. So oh. when you when you say start, stop, and continue, I mean most key decisions fall into those three buckets. Yeah. Right? Um, so it's, I'll, I'll love to, I'd love to hear how it goes. Keep you posted. Is that, is that just executive or is it throughout the company? I'm going to do it. Or is it an individual experience? So I'm going to do it with the, I'm going to take a bottoms of approach, have the employees do it, do it for their bosses, you know, and then Mm -hmm. the executives that report all direct reports that go to me are going to do it for me. Got it. You know, and, uh, you know, I think I have an honest enough crew that they'll, they'll hit me between the eyes. Would, you know, and that's what I want. I never want anybody to, to sugarcoat anything because I won't sugarcoat stuff. And let's just, you know, let's just talk. You're better off getting it out now and getting it over with than, like yep. you just said, that's a, that's a scary story when you have someone pop up and say, I'm done. And it's like one of your best people. And, oh, you know, you're stuck. Because, because, the, the guys that are spending all day on the internet and calling their girlfriends and boyfriends yeah. or whatever and just wasting company yeah. time, those are the ones you want to get you a two-week yeah. notice. And then you can say, you know what? Don't worry about the two weeks. You, can, you, you don't need to get notice. Yeah. You're, you're gone. That's fine. Those guys never yeah. quit. Those guys have to be shown the door. And what Ripple does, at least on some levels, is, is give the empowers managers and owners to have objective data to make those decisions when the decisions aren't that easy. And and the good thing I like about you, and I, you know, it's funny. You realize things as you get older. And um, I'm 50 now, and I realize, man, integrity is so important to me. Growing up, it was so important to me. If you, if you took. Um, a movie and you did something to the movie where you sacrificed the integrity. I lost all interest in it. If you were a band yep. and you took something and did something that really wasn't what you're normally known for, I kind of lost some in th- that integrity. It was so important to me. So when you told me, you said, Joe, no matter what, whatever your team says about you, I can't share it with you. I like, I yeah. like that. And that's gotta be hard for you. And you gotta have people out there that ask you constantly, come on, tell me what person said, what about me? Cause it's all anonymous. So, so it's interesting, you know, early on when we were doing beta testing and, and uh, we, we were working with this organization with 50, 52, I think employees and the data comes in the first month. It's okay. Data comes in the second month. It's, it's pretty good. The third month of data. Cause we did three month betas. Um, and I was talking to the president, the president, you know, again, one to five scale, you answer all these questions, you know, Joe solicits advice before making key decisions. Um, Joe keeps uh, company goals in mind when hiring, you know, stuff like that. Pretty easy. One to five, one, never five always. So what we, what we saw with this one organization is you can see the number of ones that you get, the number of twos you get, number threes, fours and fives, but you don't know who gave you the ones or who gave you the fives and everything in between. So this organization, the president, um, this one, this this one uh, had a cumulative ripple effect score. Your ripple effect, your impact on other people, right? Your effect of four point six out of five, which is crazy, crazy high. Um, and but but on one question, 
she got a one. And the question was, I trust, I think her name was Julie. So I trust Julie, someone gave her a one, never. So uh, the president's company said, I need to know who gave Julie the one, because you know she was distraught that someone gave her a one. We need to, we need to fix this. So I said, well, I can't do that because as you just mentioned, I, I don't share specific, I don't compromise the anonymity. I can tell you, um, that I have a, a, a guess at who did this, and I'm going to look into the data and I'm going to address it, but I can't give the president of the company organization or uh, whatnot any of the specific um, data that was given by an individual user. So I call, I, I go in and I see that Frank, and I know his name Frank because I actually went to high school with him, um, and he gave Julie the one on I trust uh, Julie. So I, I email Frank, say, hey, give some time later in the week to, to have a short conversation sure no problem so we set up a call and i got on the call with him i go frank you know this is noah and, you know we go way back he goes yeah hey how you doing i figured you'd be calling i said why why is that and he goes well it's about the one right and i go yeah he goes it was a test because a bunch of us had talked and we didn't believe that it was anonymous and we thought the president of the organization could get the individual scores mm. that we all gave each other mm. and so you just proved that it is anonymous and that you reached out to me not the president saying frank why did you give julia one yeah. instead it was a it was a it was a uh, a setup it was definitely a test and 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 we passed How about that and when i went to the president i was like i found out who did it and and lo and behold this person did it because they wanted to see if it was really anonymous. And everyone trusts Julie with everything. So why would anyone give her a one? And, and the other point is, you know, over three months, we collected six, 700 data points for each of these employees. I told, I told the president, I said, people make mistakes. People have, you know, you didn't have your coffee yet. And you think a one is always and a five is never. That's why you never look at one specific answer because it's, it's the cumulative data that matters. Mm. If someone screwed up and gave you a two instead of a four or a five instead of a one, over time, those mistakes are ironed out. But if you look at one snapshot and you look at that one, one never for I trust Julie, then you get to, you, you lose the force of the trust. Yes. Yeah. And, and we, the we use it. We use it, your, your product. We use it internally. We promote it. We think it's a great fit. Um, for small business because yep. they can't get their hands on something like this. And um, right. I remember looking at some of the scores for me, and I'm like, ah, I didn't fare, I didn't fare too well in one of the scores. And you better be a really secure person and be able to say to yourself, but that's, you know, they're seeing it through their lens, whatever that is. Yep. You know, and I, and I can't yep. remember what it was, but I was like, okay. So, um, but it's, it's, uh, but at the same time, you still put it, you file it away. You put it in the back of your mind. You go, maybe there is some truth to that whatever that yep. is and you know or or you look at the data over time and you say that yeah because maybe that one the one you know maybe someone had a bad day you know we, we never send out surveys on mondays or fridays yeah. we always send it tuesday wednesday yeah. or thursday um you know it's, it's just the psychology of, of the employee of you know making a mistake or being annoyed at you so they gave you low scores one month but being happy with you so the next score they give you really high marks and and over time it evens out and that's that's why we always tell um, new data reviewers that you know don't don't pay too much attention to the initial data. You know, talk to us in six yeah. months, talk to us in nine yeah. months, and and you'll see trends that hopefully will will one validate most of your employees because you know the last thing you want to do is think you have you know maybe 30, 35 rock stars out of fifty, and then you find out you have four. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, also find those outliers, the people that you think might be mailing it in that are actually big time assets and they get super high scores from their coworkers mm-hmm. and know that, you know, maybe maybe there's something that that person did years ago that you just can't get over. But look at the look at the objective data that says, nope, you know what, that person is definitely an asset to your organization. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 cool. It's 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 very educational. Um, you know, as I tell like tomorrow when I have this discussion with with a new user, it's I don't know these people. I don't know the 12 people that gave you feedback. So I'm telling you this that so I don't I don't know what your personal relationships are with them. I don't yeah. know the history. I don't know how they were hired. I don't know how they were treated during the annual reviews over the years. I don't know, you know, all that stuff. But I can tell you is that this person doesn't work well with that person. And if you know that and you know certain teams are struggling, then do something about it. Make some changes. Yeah, take it for what no, it is. No, take no, it for what it is and yeah. do something with yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's the old, it's the old, be careful what you I ask know. for model, right? It's like, so you want to know how strong your culture is. I know. So you have 100 people and you administer Ripple and Ripple confirms your culture sucks. And then you argue with me for 10, not you, obviously, but the, the new user argues with me for 10 minutes about how great their culture is. And this one guy, Rob, who, who ran this company that um, only used us for a few months because he thought our algorithms were broken. Um, he's like, you're wrong. This information's wrong. And I said, Rob, I, I, I like, I, I've grown to like you over the last few months, but if you don't take the data for what it is, then you, you want to do this as a pat yourself on the back exercise. You want Ripple to show you that all of your uh, employees are 4.4 employees or higher. And when you see that that's not the case, you're defensive about it. <laughs> you're telling me that my process is broken versus me confirming to you that you have culture issues. And if you have culture issues, address the culture issues, figure out what's going on, bring in a consultant, you know, bring in a couple of coaches to, to talk about, you know, developing interpersonal skills on team building and all that kind of stuff. But if you take my data and say that Ripple is broken and I don't believe the results, your culture is going to suck today, tomorrow, and in a month, in a year, in 10 years. And maybe luckily you have some product or service that allows you to make money with a crappy culture, but at most organizations, you probably spend a lot of time hiring, rehiring, and and that's not what most organizations want to do. They want to build whatever they build, they want to sell whatever they sell, and they want to do it with, with employees that stick around. We had, it was funny, going into the pandemic, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, of course, you're concerned about the employees, how they're going to fare. But even before that, I tried to go with the attitude of, you know, business as usual, as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And I had earmarked some staff that I thought, you know, if things really get tight, you know, <laughs> these are the staff members that I don't want around anymore. And some of them were really tenured. And and but their attitudes were not great. And I was I was bringing in all these new people that that were already buying into the the, the culture of clear and they had a good attitude. Yep. They talk about how great it is to work at clear and, you know, it's this and this. And these people just took it for granted. They had been there too long and they've been yep. with me too long and they felt like, you know, ah, yeah, that's just Joe. And blah, 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 blah. They don't realize, you know, as as a leader, you have to keep evolving. And you have to keep changing. And how we looked five years ago is not how we look and how I look five five years later. I mean, things change. And and um, they wind up taking themselves out through the pandemic. But I had had – my whole plan was 
I wanted them, I wanted them out, and I was kind of circling the wagons with them. And it was all, <laughs> and it was all around. It wasn't so much around job performance. Job performance was okay. It was attitude, and attitude really frustrated me, and it frustrated the team. Because we found out after these people left, they guarded their own – they wouldn't share their own knowledge because they had that, that yep. old mindset that if I share my knowledge with Noah, now I can be replaced. Now I can be replaced. Yeah. That's yep, totally. That's a, who fosters that kind of environment? And, I, you know, and it was just and, – and then they didn't work well as a team. And I really wanted to stress that we're going to be team players – that's expected of you to be a team player and you're going to have a positive attitude that's expected of you because I'll never give you a negative attitude and I'll never say, you know, I'll never come at you for something. My first thing is when someone makes a mistake, how can we fix it? You didn't hear me say, how can you fix it? I said, how can we fix it? Yeah. What's the solution? How do we, how do we, what can I do to help you? And then the second part of that is the second part of that is, um, Mistakes you should never let happen twice. Once you learn from it, I, I yep. hold my, never I hold myself to that. I expect the team to hold themselves to that, and that's one of the things that you know. As as a company, when you give them a, a tool like your tool, you're giving them the advantage to speak openly and say what they really think. That's right. You know, and you know the start, stop, and continue. As much as it will. I think my executive team will give me honest feedback. I think my employees will give me honest feedback about their supervisors because the supervisors are not going to be there. But I'm going to facilitate it. And even if I'm going to ask them if they want to do it anonymously, they can, you know, I'll come up with a way they can do it, but I got to get the feedback. I've got to know what's going on. And, and like ripple, that's a great way to do it. I I think ripple is actually better um, than this. It's a little more antiquated, I think. But, uh, you know, having Ripple and doing this, I think it's a two-fold like, combination because I think with the start, stop, and continue, you can be, a little, you can be very specific. And it's geared towards your, your direct report or who you're reporting to. And where, where's the, what's the frequency? Like, when do you know, like, what, what the data means tomorrow versus the data in six months? Do you do, it, do, you do the start, stop, and continue repeatedly? Or is it kind of like just a level set? It's more, it's more, I I know what you mean. It's more of a level set. Uh, I think it, I think it makes all of us aware that Joe's going to be asking the, the, you know, and I'm going to tell the team, the executives, just take the feedback. Don't defend it. I'm going to tell you what it is. You just think about it and think about how maybe you were doing it that way. Maybe like you just said, like that guy who thought he had a great culture. He really, he, (laughs) he really didn't. And, you know, and guess what? I might not have a good culture. I might find out that it's the team not happy. I wish they would tell me that, but I guess there's, a, there's that intimidation. They feel like, oh, I can't talk to Joe. That's, that's exactly you know? right. Yep, and that's and that, that's one of the core tenets in terms of Ripple is having the anonymity component because, you know, you just, any fear of backlash means you're not going to get genuine uh, feedback. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a testament to the companies that use us in terms of the importance they place on getting the feedback, maybe not liking the feedback, but getting it, getting their arms around the situation. And then if necessary, doing something about it and bringing in help, getting developmental tools in place so that you can figure out how to become stronger and more effective of workplace. Because, you know, in 2021, in order to succeed, truly succeed, you have to have buy-in to the goals of the company 
and you, and, you know, if you want to talk about retention um, and, you know, elements of long-term loyalty, you have to build an organization around um, the importance of culture, the importance of knowing that, you know, if the numbers show that we can do, we do X, then we get Y, we like Y, then keep doing X, you know? I mean, it's, it's really, you know, why you can, you can make change when you have to, but if you find a good formula, keep it. And, you know, when, when you made the reference to the employee that doesn't want to share with their coworker, because then, you know, it, it cheapens their value because someone else knows how to do something. What it really does is it allows the person that shared the information to learn something else, you know, because now you have that knowledge, do something else and be more productive on another level. Uh, I represented a restaurant years ago and the owner of the finance component, most restaurants have the finance component, meaning the money guy, and then the chef, the creative side, right? So a chef threatened to leave. And I, and I asked the owner, my client, I said, well, what's the big deal if he leaves? He said, well, I don't, I don't know how he makes any of the dishes. And I was like, well, you get him to teach one of the sous chefs every meal on the menu. Because God forbid, I mean, and I'm not even talking about voluntarily leaving. What if, you know, his wife gets some crazy job in Chicago and they relocate, you know? I mean, it doesn't have to be him quitting to open a restaurant across the street. You need, I mean, that's that's value. And you're paying him, he's paying him a lot of money at the time. And and if he refuses, tell him it's, a, it's, it's part of your employment. I mean, you need to teach someone else, even if, what happens when he goes on vacation? Oh, he doesn't take vacation. I'm like, okay, well, he's going to want to take vacation at some point. And you're going to need to be able to create the items on that menu. And I sat down with the chef and I told him, I'm like, this is the reason. He's not, he's not, he doesn't want you to teach this, what was that kid's name? Mark Marco, I think, his sous chef. He doesn't want you to teach Marco so that he can, you know, pay Marco 50% of what he pays yeah. you and get yeah. rid of you. Yeah. yeah. He wants to make sure that when you go on vacation and, you know, you're, you're gone for 10 days, that we don't skip the beat. You know, and, and you don't lose any customers. And once he had that, but but the finance guy went about it wrong because he said, Yo, you work for me. And then suddenly it's like, OK, well, then then really the communication, it wasn't the words. It was how you were communicating. it. So by by allowing the chef to know that we wanted this information so that he, he could have flexibility to try something new, you know, try new specials. And, you know, if he went away on vacation or if he got sick, you know, if he catches a percent, yeah, for 200 percent. So, but it's all how you say it and what you're saying. And, and, and that's why, or you know what, even go, go further back, it's about trusting each other. Yeah. Totally. And maybe that, that chef didn't trust the finance guy and was a little leery of totally. him. So, Yep. What, yep. No, I think they're What about um, we kind of skipped over this, and I, I think it's important too for people when they they listen to this. How did you get your what? What made you say I'm going to start my own company? Because you had a good job as an attorney, you're making really good bucks. What made you say yeah, I'm going to start my own thing? So, um, so the the history of my professional career, uh, I worked for a couple firms in the city, and then in 2011 I started my own office, had a few employees, just doing my thing, and. Uh, in early 2014. My, one of my good friends, Derek, uh, was diagnosed in February of 2011 with um, stage four cancer. And he, he, he was winning the battle for a long time, or at least holding it back and, and doing, uh, making some progress. And in early 2014, when I'm, you know, full-fledged individual law practice, you know, the, the cancer had been in remission, came back. And so we started talking and, um, we just started really spitballing in terms of what makes people happy in the workplace and what people what, what make people want to quit and what people what people don't like 
and he worked uh, as the SVP for strategy at a Fortune 500 company. You know, super successful guy, really good person. Wanted to leave something as legacy of you know changing the the workplace environment. And so we started mapping out Ripple because I had just gone through my annual reviews with my people. He had gone through the annual review with I think he had like forty or fifty some odd people reporting to him. And we started doing research and we realized that one of the most anxious ridden events in the annual work cycle of American employees was this annual review concept where you sit for 20 minutes with your manager or owner and you talk about the last 12 months versus talking throughout the year about good stuff, bad stuff, and, and you know, really making it a that. Yeah, it's not real time. Experience. By the time you get to that annual review, it's not real time. Yeah, it's a static event yeah. to it. There's two things, there's two problems with it. One annual, meaning you only do it once every 12 months. And review, you're talking about everything that happened in the past. Yep. The human brain only remembers things accurately for six to eight weeks. So if you're doing things on an annualized basis and it's not your taxes or celebrating your birthday, chances are you're not doing it the right way. And so Derek and I met with a couple of people, got some money together through some investors, uh, signed on Dr. Frank Shipper, who's an IO psychologist. And we said, how can we make it better? And he said, feedback, feedback drives engagement, engagement drives productivity. And all of those concepts in late 2014, early 2015 have been completely validated over the last five years because we have competitors in the space. We have people doing not exactly what we do, but very similar stuff because there's a need for it. And uh, we just signed a deal, a uh, partnership deal with the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness out in Nevada. And their whole, their mission is, you know, be mindful that everything you do has an impact on the people you're doing it to in life, not just in your career, you know? I mean, Joe, when we first met, um, I was talking, my, my general pitch was, you know, what we track is your personality in life. It's not your personality traits from nine to five because you really should have similar personality traits 24 hours a day. You shouldn't be a totally different person in the job than you are at home because that means you're not self-aware and that means you're probably miserable either at home or at work because you're faking it. You're being somebody you think you have to be versus the person you should be. And we, and we empower people to recognize that, you know, we track um, personality traits along curiosity, consistency, conscientiousness, cooperation, and commitment levels of those five personality traits. So if you see over time that you just don't have naturally high self-awareness when it comes to conscientiousness, you can embrace it. You're, you're a person. Maybe you're just, just not conscientious. Maybe you don't keep you know, a clean desk. You're not responsible when putting things on the calendar. You always leave the, the car with no gas in it when your wife gets mad at you. you know, all those types of things that go into conscientiousness. So don't expect your, you know, it takes a little pressure off because if I'm not naturally conscientious, own it. It's okay. And for a manager to put me on a team and that team needs someone who's conscientious and the manager looked at all the dashboards and found that I have the lowest sense of conscientiousness on the team, get me off that team. There's no reason for me to be on that team. You're setting me up to fail. Put me in a position where my high levels of consistency or cooperation are stressed or projects that, you know, emphasize my success versus, you know, hammer home my weaknesses. And the employee will appreciate it. The manager will appreciate the productivity and the, and the outcome. And the company will grow from a cultural perspective. Because I'll share that story that, you know, Joe was so, so um, forward thinking that he looked at my Ripple dashboard, realized that this project required a lot of conscientiousness. He might like me as an employee, but knows I don't have a high levels of conscientiousness. So he didn't put me on that team.
and said he put me on this other project and, and, and I killed it because cooperation and consistency were stressed. But use that data to make informed, more intelligent, stronger decisions. And that's, you know, that's what we had. That's the value add. So then, so, so you started the company because of you and your friend. Mm-hmm. So, so we mapped it out. We, um, we started writing code in October. We, we incorporated in October, 2004. Did you teach yourself um, how to write code or you already knew? No, 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 we hired, we had, we had, um, we had coders. Okay. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah, we had, we had our original team had, you know, the original CTO of a fortune 500 team, a company up in Boston and just real dynamic team. And we built this thing out and, uh, we had our first beta test in April of 2015. Derek uh, unfortunately passed uh, April 10th, 2015. Uh, oh, but, wow. You know, he knew he knew we had this thing scheduled at, at our first, you know, user, and you know, he knew that we had a viable product, and you know, this this whole concept that was just kind of a, a, a daydream a year earlier um, had been fully built out and obviously we've perfected various functionality since. Um, but you know, we've had over 13,000, 13,600, I think people sign up to use ripple. The vast majority of them were, were in beta and, and via our try ripple for free button on our website. Um, but you know, it's just validated in the market that we have, we have had users, we have clients and, you know, we're, we're pushing and growing. So, and, uh, and, you know, with, with every new user, it just kind of reminds me why we did it. And, um, yeah, and kind of pushes me forward. Yeah, no doubt. That's got to be tough to start a business with a partner and he, that person passes and you're kind of going solo now because, you know, it's funny in my career, I, I've been in corporate America, I've had a partnership and now I'm solo and there are pluses and minuses, obviously to all three. And having a partner, you could always bounce some, something off someone. You could, you know, you you were with each other with the bad times. You could celebrate the good times. Yep. Um, so that must be tough, you know. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of energy, a lot of good times, and I, and I think it was a, um, it was something that pushed him from a creativity perspective, and maybe took a little of the emphasis off his illness, which you know, hopefully, helped him you know, during, during the struggles. Uh, but, you know, when we, when we founded Ripple, I was, I was giving him legal advice on, you know, how to form it and maybe, you know, this is the structure and, and, you know, I was kind of part-timing it. And he basically told me that he goes, are you happy being a lawyer? You can't be happy being a lawyer. You're too nice of a guy. You, you too, you know, your personality just doesn't, I, I just don't see you wanting. How to did you hear? How did you, you feel are? when he said that to you? Because you spent your whole life, obviously, practicing law, studying law. How did you feel? You know, so I like the concept of law, but the application of law is completely different. You know, the the the, the right guy, the David versus the Goliath. That guy hardly ever wins. That guy hardly ever actually can afford to do what needs to be done to win in the court of law. Um, and that's frustrating because I like the concept. Again, the concept of law is great. Holding people accountable. If you did something wrong, then you have to make it right. But in practice, it just didn't really work out that way. And I had enough, I think, 16 years into practicing law. when he was like, would you rather do something else? I had enough of a basis for saying, you know what? I think you're right. <laughs> I would like to do something else. And so when we, when we uh, decided to go down this road, it was, you know, apply my 16 years of experience in corporate America, apply his 16 years of experience in corporate America and show how the current process is broken. 
because, and we're not just saying it because Dr. Frank Shipper says it, we lived it. We were giving the reviews, we were getting the reviews, and nothing ever, nothing ever happened that was positive that came out of the annual review. The only thing that I can point to when I was managing the law firm in the city for seven years doing, you know, 50, 60 of these things at a time is our highest rates of attrition were in January. We did it in mid-December, the absolute worst time to do an annual review. <laughs> and we always did it. And we also did it always tied to compensation. So if you were actually talking about something productive, the person hearing you was not hearing anything until you said you're getting a yeah. percent raise of ten thousand dollars. No doubt. So it's no doubt. you know it's like they you know even if even if you were doing everything by the book and had objective information and data that you were going through, if you tie it to compensation, that twenty five year old sitting across the table from you is just waiting to hear you know what kind of vacation they're. Getting I, to know. Right? I know. I <laughs> know. So we based it on our experience. We had the psychological validation from our, you know, from our academic uh, component. And, um, you know, personal experience is huge because I, I, I ask when I when I talk to a prospect, I ask, what are you doing currently to assess your talent? Do you do the annual review? And if the answer is yes, I say, well, do you like it? And the answer 95 percent of the time is I hate yeah, it. I don't, not like it. That I don't like it. That's not really effective. It's I hate it. It's a waste of time. And so if you're going to do something, if you're going to spend time, effort to do something, do it right and do it so that you can you can use the data and the, the fruits of that endeavor versus just saying, you know, check, checking the compliance box saying, yep, annual review, Joe, done, Noah, done, Jim, done, Susan, done, not, not, oh, interesting, oh, look at the data. Compared to this time last year, Noah's 8% uh, higher on all of his personality traits. Hmm, wonder why. Maybe it's because he's been remote working and he hasn't been dealing with certain people in the office that he doesn't like working with. If that's the case, when everything returns to normal, whatever that is, and Noah comes to you and says, you know, I'd rather work from home. You have the data that supports that decision. You can say, you know what, Noah, your numbers went up. So you can work effectively from home. So yeah, you can work from home. Instead of, well, you know, Susan's been here for eight years and you've only been here for three years and she has to work from home. So we have to let her work from home. You know, I mean, that that's just stupid. And especially if you have the science and the data that supports better decisions. And it just it just seems like if you are a business owner out there and you are thinking about what you're going to do after the pandemic, you know, you're going to go back full, the old way, be in the office. Are you going to do a hybrid or are you going to work from home? Get the data from your people, you know, find out what they're thinking, <laughs> yeah. then make your decisions because every company's different. You know, it's yep. not it's not one size fits all. We all know that. But yet people think it is. Or, you know, what happens? The owner has that myopic perspective and thinks, I know what I know. I know. I know what everybody wants. Yep. And I've been running this company for 20 years and I inherited it from my dad who ran it for 30 yeah. years. And, you know, I mean, and 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 at the end of the day, if you try to. If you try to show um, that you're culture driven, if you go, if you go, you know, if you take outlandish steps to show how important culture is to you, chances are you're doing it for the buzzword effect, not that you actually care about the culture. Yeah, I don't say you it's funny. I don't say cult. I don't say culture. As you were saying that, I'm thinking, boy, that would sound so weird. I don't say it to people like, what do you think of our culture? What do you think? I never say culture. Right. I always right. Do you like working yeah. here? <laughs> if you want, if you want, to, if you want a, a quick story early on, when I was pitching Ripple to a huge international uh, cosmetics company, there's only a few. It's one of the ones you're thinking of. Uh, they have seventy thousand employees. They gave me. They, they told me that they hired a consulting firm to gauge the culture of their organization, and they asked essentially 
one question. Would you refer a friend or family member come work at this company? Which means if you said yes, then chances yeah, you are like you liked it. your job. And you know, yeah, so uh, management's all proud of themselves. They roll out this, you know, culture confirming exercise and all 70,000 employees take this survey and, and the numbers came in and 23% said yes. And wow. obviously that, that was a major concern sure. for management. Sure. So, man, so management just took the same survey thinking, you know, answering the same question about what they thought the employees would say. And 79% of them said yes. So the management thinks it's a great place to work. The workers yeah. don't. So what did, what did they do with that information? They buried it. So the, 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 the caveat to collecting feedback is you have to use it because all these employees at this company knew that they were engaging in this culture driven exercise. They knew that they were completing surveys. They knew that their coworkers were completing surveys and that the big, you know, the, the big reveal would happen a month down the line, two months down the line, maybe six months down the line, maybe end of the year holiday party, but they never reported it to the people. So <laughs> you, you go through this exercise to confirm culture and you don't tell the people the results. And, and the employees obviously knew that the results couldn't be that wow. good. They'd be singing it from, from, from the rooftops, yep. right? So, so they never shared. Mm. And I was talking to the, a person that was very high up in the ladder in the North American uh, executive branch of, of this company. And he's like, and this is, you know, this is one of the reasons he's like, you know, you can, you can preach that you want people to have, you know, to have enjoyable experiences coming to the office. But what you know, they don't, because when you have 23% say that they wouldn't refer a friend or family member, you know, and especially because it was anonymous. So the consulting for uh, company actually said the actual number is probably 18 to 19% because there were a few people that always say, yeah, I don't, I don't believe it's anonymous. So I'm not going to, I'm going to say, yes, I would, even though I would. Um, so yeah, he's like, you know, if you had that, that's a major problem. The bigger issue is that the executives think that the culture is great. So you've got 80% of the executives saying that everyone would want their friends and family to come work here. And you have 20% saying that they wouldn't. So it's, it, that gap, that 60 point gap is, is a real problem. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, you know, they weather this another storm because they sell a lot of product, but the culture is not good. Mm. And so, and, and really, again, to your point, you don't use culture, you know, the, the, the happiness, the, the level of content, uh, employees from a day-to-day perspective in terms of coming to work, doing what they're doing and wanting the company to succeed. That's, that's really what culture is. Do you have people that buy into the, the core goals of your organization? And if you do, chances are you have lower attrition, you have higher rates of loyalty. You're probably more productive on a per capita per person, um, basis. And that means you succeed. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, it sounds simple, but it's, it's really not that hard. Yeah. It's, it's not that hard, I, but it is. And here's where I think it is hard. You have to always be thinking, what, are, what does their day look like? What are they going through? You know, how can I help them? And then right. you have to be adamant about it because some of them may continue to do the same thing over and over again, where you have to tell them, look, I need you to, if you do it this way, it'll be more convenient for you where you won't walk home saying, ah, oh, this sucks. I'm doing the day-to-day <laughs> shit that really just mind-numbing. No, let's embrace automation. Let's embrace technology. Let's embrace a new. And the people that I mentioned to you before that left last year, one of them did, or two of them did, would not want to embrace new technology. They were like, what? I'm not doing that. You know, I, I like the way we've been doing and I said to the staff, now yeah, I had a couple conversations with some new people and I said, listen, 
if I don't bring something to the table, then what? And I know I'm the owner, and I know I signed your check, but really, what am I doing? What am I helping with? What What am I here for? I'm just watching you work your tail off. I want you to have an experience where you feel like, you know, you're getting things done, but not spending time doing the rudimentary stuff that really uh, it could be automated. Yep. Yep. And I and and I did and I did one interview with someone who asked me about. He was like, "Joe, what do you think about your client experience?" And I thought, I don't really think about the client experience. I think about the employee experience. And I asked him, I said, "Is that good or bad?" He said, "Well, if you're thinking about the employee, ultimately it impacts the client. And the person that's thinking about the client experience is, go- is starting with kind of like the B versus the A. Neither one were different or or they're wrong. But I just." feel like if I start with the employees and, and keep, you know, open lines of communication and feedback that, like I said, they're happy. They treat the clients happy. And we're in a B2B business where service is so important to us right, uh, totally. that you have to make sure that, you know, when employees, when a client says, I need you to do this, this, and this by this date, we're all going to run for it. Like that's that whole, our whole philosophy is, you know, New York intensity with the California culture, you know, the, you know, the, um, the work-life balance, I want them, everyone to have it. But at the same time, when a client needs us, we got to jump. Right. Totally. Oh, I like that, the the California culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, but but going back to when you started the company and because and, it was early on that you you lost your partner, right? Just when you were about to launch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we launched. Um, yeah, we. It was a yeah, so weeks it was. It was right, that's when he passed, yeah. right? Yeah. So at that point, were yep, you guys fifty yep. fifty? Yeah. So, yeah. So we're. Yep. Yeah. But we had we had we had raised some capital yep. uh, through friends and family. Um, so so we had sold twenty percent um, of of the company to those investors, and then we had some equity deals with our first team of uh, you know. Of developers and and uh, sales guys. So, um, but then I bought the company back in 2018, uh, April May so, uh, of 2018. Because no, go ahead. I'll finish what you're saying. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say because the the cap table was all over the place, and I needed to clean it up. And you know, we had we were running into issues with you know pitching to investors who you know didn't necessarily want to be with uh, all of the friends and family investors. And you know, we had we had some strategic uh, decisions to make. Um, but yeah, so, so when, when we formed the company and then we started writing the code and we started selling, um, the, the, the platform, what we, what I always did was, you know, try to keep Derek in mind with respect to, at the end of the day, our goal was to help companies become better, you know, remove anxious exercises like the annual review, generate positive communication events, you know, showing dashboards to both the employee and the, and the managers and, and owners so that everyone can yeah. benefit from the information, you know, and, and really sell it as a, as a unique um, solution where the interconnected feedback mechanism would increase awareness of how people are doing, how, you know, how positive, negative, or somewhere in between um, their impact so, on the organization was. I, I guess from a personal perspective, when he was, you know, he was going to pass. Did it ever enter your mind? I don't know if I want to do this without him. That's, it was the two of us that were going to do this. And he's, you know. No, it actually pushed me. It it pushed me harder to, you know, Mm. make Ripple succeed. 
I think when, when you're, you know, I mean, Derek and I met uh, at Boston college, uh, sophomore year. So that would be like 1990. Um, we drove cross country in 1993 after graduation and a hmm. 65 Ford Falcon. Um, right after graduation, my dad's uh, friend who runs a Falcon and, and a Thunderbird restoration uh, outfit in Scottsdale, Arizona, he found this car in, in Cape Cod and basically said, would you, you know, buddy can drive cross country. And I asked oh, that's awesome experience. To say, yeah, totally. So, yeah. And, and so, you know, you, you, if you want to know, we'd known each other for three years, you know, good, great friends. But if you really want to know somebody, huh. drive cross country with them. And, you know, we just kind of connected on a lot of levels. And when Derek got sick, you know, we we all got together, you know, uh, our our third friend, Anil, uh, we all got up. We went to Derek's house in Vermont and just kind of hung out and, you know, kind of reconnected. And then years later, when I, I think I was probably complaining about, you know, clients not paying their bills as a lawyer. And, and he, he mentioned, he just said, well, you know, you should consider you're, you're still young enough. You can do it. You know, 10 years down the line, you might not be, but you're still young enough that you could probably re reinvent yourself. And, and we started talking about it and, and, you know, two o'clock in the morning texts, you know, just really spitballing about how we could make this more effective and what kind of a tool, what kind of functionality would, would we want it to have. And, and so when, when, you know, obviously in the last few weeks before he passed, yeah, it would, I would say it pushed me harder to, to, you know, to get that first paying client, to get that first strategic partner, to really show Derek and his family that, um, that his, his dream of having a legacy uh, down the line is, is still alive. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I would be lying if I didn't, <laughs> said I wish it was more successful we had you know a thousand users and you know but that that will hopefully come with with the attention and those do you feel any extra pressure do I feel extra pressure? no I think I yeah no I don't think so but but I also believe 110 percent in in the mission so it wasn't like Derek convinced me to do this. And I kind of went along because I knew he was sick. I mean, I, I, I used to do these freaking things, these annual reviews, and it was just a colossal waste of time. Two weeks, mid-December, I had to meet with 40, 50 people and, you know, waste my, you know, and I saw it as a waste of time. So if I'm, if I'm thinking it's a waste of time, I can only imagine. And 40, 50 people is going to take you at you know? least 60 days. Oh, 20. 20 minutes a pop. No, no, no. I had done with science. 20 minutes a pop. Oh, I, had, I had three of them an hour. So, I could, so I, could do, I could do 15, you know, 20. <laughs> uh, totally. And, and think about it. And I'll, shells, I'll your it I'll the reason why it's ineffective the is the first time you do it with somebody and then you're doing another one and then another one. By the time you get to the second one half through, you're starting to be like, what did I just say? Who am I thinking yeah, about? What totally. is... Oh, it's rough. Yeah, totally. Rough. 100%. And it was, it was always from the cuff. <laughs> I mean, it's never, I never had a hand, I never had, you know, data in front of me. It was all, you know, and, and to my earlier point, it was what I remembered happening over the last six to eight weeks. And the unintentional bias that managers and owners show various employees is real. And it's unintentional, so it's not like I want to do it. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm reviewing Paul, and Paul's a huge Mets fan, he likes to ski, those things should not have anything to do with right. how good right. an associate he is, right? <laughs> but... You know, we had a couple of beers with a client last week and he told this really funny joke. All that stuff influences me as opposed to I could look at 12 months of data yeah. and have a discussion with him. 
versus, you know, the, you know, what have you done for me lately? And, and unfortunately, or, or, or Paul blew off that, you know, a couple beers with the client thing and didn't tell a funny joke or, you know, and he doesn't like the meds and he doesn't like to ski. So I hold that against mm. him unintentionally, but I hold it against him. So, you know, replacing that with a, with a truer, more accurate process is, is obviously the way to go. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. And then, you know, it's end of the year, you're trying oh. to hit these 40, 50, some, I mean, we were 70 some odd employees at one point. I mean, just, just, and, and they didn't get anything out of it because I was yeah. mailing it in halfway. So through you, each would, if you had to say, um, one, are you glad you ha- you're on your own with your own business, doing your own thing? I, I am what I, when about a year ago, actually, maybe even a year and a half ago, we pivoted to, to try to culture, uh, to try to uh, cultivate strategic partners. So, so, you know, as we've spoken several times over the last couple of years, it's nice to work with people in partnering to get your word out. Right. Because, you know, I, I've got two people that work with me, but I'm a very personable person. And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I'm on my own. I got, I'm glad I have the autonomy to do pretty much anything I want. Um, but I do like working with our strategic partners to just get the word out more and to utilize um, that kind of connectivity process. So do you do you think when you say strategic partners, you just mean channel partners, right, to refer the business? But I mean, yeah. when, I, when I mean yep. working on your own, yep. like having your I mean, having your own business versus working for someone. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's not for everybody. I absolutely, I absolutely. When you say it's not for everybody, that's, you know, most entrepreneurs are like, everybody should be an entrepreneur. It's just a walk of life, man. It is a walk of life. You know, it's, you never, you never, um, you never off. It's 20, it's 24 seven. And um, yes, I'm sure you, you know, I'll be, I'll be, you know, on the chairlift with my son and and I'll have an idea and I'll text myself the idea. You know, if, if I'm working nine to five, Monday through Friday, yeah, I might do that. Yeah, once a year, twice a year, but I do I do that regularly. How can we better this? How can we make the experience more dynamic? How can how can I close that deal with the company yep. that I've been talking with yep. for nine months? You know, how do how do I how do I show someone that bad data is not bad data? The data speaks for itself, and you might not like the data, but do something about it. You know, like the whole concept of of going through the data with new users is all used to be stressful. Now it's this is what it shows. And I didn't make this up. Yep. <laughs> this and, is your and you know what? This when is your company. You, when you're an owner, you know, to what you just said, it is not for the faint of heart. And you better be ready to get no. your tail kicked in more times than not. And yep, you, yep, you have a thick skin. Thick you skin. have to have every silly quote that you ever read that was some type of quote you know mm-hmm. tough times mm-hmm. don't last tough people do totally. you better say them to yourself when you're getting your head beat down and you know it's it's a, it is a tough yep. tough assignment but you know you either love it or you don't and you're right it's not for everybody and it's okay i mean it's not you know if if you are inherently risk averse i would say owning your own company no matter what you're doing nope is, is not for you. And there are people, there are people out there that are, and, yeah. and that's fine. As long as you know it and you don't go into business thinking, Oh, I'm I don't want my kids to have a million dollars. Cause that's not, <laughs> I don't, cause I, right. I, I, I want them to go <laughs> exactly. great jobs, do exactly. exactly, you know, do what they love and work for somebody <laughs> else and let them have. Yeah. Five, five weeks yeah. paid off. And, and you, time, and, you know, and, and, and totally and be yeah. the best of the totally. best and you can go anywhere you want because <laughs> 
it, it is. It, it's a never ending thing. I mean, you know, it, it looks it's it's you know, it's so confusing, I guess, to people on the outside looking in because they probably think it looks so glamorous, but it is not far from glamorous. It is far from glamorous. And I you and you more. better be one I of the best more. thinkers. Just be a thinker and constantly problem solve mm-hmm. and constantly think about what's coming next and constantly stay out in front of the competition and constantly think about what your employees want and constantly think about what your clients want. And constantly, you know, you always be thinking. It never turns off. Yep. Um, so if you had, if you had to say, right. you know, three things that define a great owner or a great entrepreneur, and I, you could use those interchangeably, you know, owner, entrepreneur, it's the same thing. Um, what would you say they are? The three yeah. things that yeah, define a great entrepreneur. an entrepreneur? Um, resilience. Creativity in terms of being able to pivot, no matter what you think. If an idea that you have isn't working, then it's not. A yeah, don't idea. be married to it. <laughs> if you use it in a long yeah. enough, yeah, don't be married to it. That's your own detriment. Um, and resourceful. Yeah, life gives you lemons. So, yeah, find your market. You know, I mean, I always say, as you know, we're industry agnostic. But if I find out tomorrow that the education space is where Ripple is going to crush it, I have no problem folding up my pipeline. You know, in six months, if it shows, you know, if I close 100 universities in the first two months and then concentrating on that industry, you know, don't be married. You know, a lot of a lot of um, startups, a lot of software companies will say they're industry agnostic because they don't want to cut any market out. But if you find that your your service, your solution is working particularly well in a market, then there's nothing. No, not at all. And as long as you definitely can start to smell when the end's coming, because if you if you don't, you're going to be totally thing so um you got to be able to again it's, yep. it's always constantly thinking about staying ahead uh well mm-hmm. listen noah i appreciate you coming on the second podcast of owner to owner um hopefully thank you brother and one day hopefully there'll be hundreds of thousands of these but the whole you know the whole idea is to encourage yep. someone out there who's listening right now who, like you said who you know or discourage someone you know, maybe you tell someone, hearing yeah. that from you, that you were a normal guy, grew up in Vermont, on a big farm, seven kids, yep. and, you know, went from a lawyer to this. And then maybe they hear you say, you know, it's not for everybody. It kind of takes the pressure off somebody. and says, you know what? It's okay totally. if I work at a job that I really like, and maybe I have great hobbies, and maybe I have a work-life <laughs> balance. I don't need to be thinking about work nine o'clock at yep. night. And for the pe- yep. and for the person out there that's crazy enough that says, oh, "I like it. I like when they say it's, it's not for everybody." Then, <laughs> right when yeah. they say, "Wait a second, yeah. I'm resilient. I'm resourceful. I'm yeah, I'm resourceful. and maybe it strikes yeah. a chord with them. So <laughs> it's good. I, I like it. So again, yep. you know, yeah. Well, either I, way, I think I you did. And um, Noah Pusey. Um, from Ripple, the CEO of Ripple Analytics, analytics startup that is redefining the way organizations assess and, assess and develop their talent. Ripple replaces the annual review with a tech-driven solution that drives self-awareness and strengthens organizational culture. And that's very important in a company. You have to have a good culture, but you don't need to stop and ask, how, how's our culture? How's our culture? How's our culture? 
do something that'll yep. definitely exactly. help your employees. Think about your employees being happy. And I think this is a great tool to do that. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, brother. And, um, you know, we got to get out and hit the slopes together. 